Nonprofit Lowdown. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Priya Wong. In this podcast, I recommend a book, tool, tip, podcast, or resource that has helped me to build a multi-million dollar nonprofit organization. I've done the research, so you don't have to. Let's get started. Hey, podcast listeners, it's Rhea Wong with you once again with Nonprofit Lowdown. Today, I have my very good friend, Morty Ballin, who is former CEO and founder of Explore Schools. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about what it means to leave gracefully and what it means to scale up. So welcome, Morty. Thank you, Rhea. It's good to be here. So Morty, tell me a little bit about your career. Sure. As you said, my role as CEO and founder at Explore Schools, I was a teacher for six years first in Louisiana, South Africa, and New York City. And I taught in underserved communities. And I then earned my principal's license at Teachers College and decided that I wanted to serve the same kids that I taught but wanted to work with a team of adults that had the same high expectations. So I started a charter school and I started a charter school to have that team of adults. And I opened that charter school in 2002, Explore Charter School. And I was the executive director and our mission was pretty much what it is today to provide our kids with the academic skills and critical thinking abilities they need to succeed in a college prep high school. I ran that school from 2002 till 2008, and then we opened an additional three schools. And today, the organization serves 2,000 students in eight schools in central Brooklyn, four lower schools and four upper schools. That is amazing. So tell me a little bit about what you learned about scale, because we have a lot of nonprofit folks, and I think scale is the name of the game, but I think scaling is often much more difficult than we think it is. And I'm sure there are some hard lessons that you learned along the way. Yes, Uh, (laughs) very, very hard lessons. So I didn't set out to scale an organization. I set out to be a school leader of a kindergarten through eighth grade school. And what I underestimated as a founder is that I would get an entrepreneurial bug And the same bug that sort of lit a fire in me to open Explorer bit me again around 2008. And at that point, we had the, it was the charter school go-go days and local and city, state, federal funders and policymakers wanted to see the charter movement grow and the charter sector grow here in New York City. And There was a lot of encouragement and money, and I had an itch to do something challenging. So so just that's just context. I feel like we grew way too fast, primarily because I did not know what scaling really meant, and there was a lot of encouragement to grow, and I wanted a challenge. So when I reflect... You know, and I I was just talking about this with the organization. I was saying goodbye to the organization a a couple nights ago. And I was talking that after we grew, we opened a school in 2009. We opened up a school in 2011. We opened up a school in 2012. When I peeked my head up in 2013, I saw an organization with an infrastructure that was just in a state of disrepair. Our Mm -hmm. scores were in decline. Parents were rightfully upset. We didn't have a leadership pipeline and our teammates and teachers 
were leaving in droves. And that wasn't, those weren't the problems we had as a single school. So, and then I can go in more detail based on what you think would be what we want to talk about, but that's sort of context. Yeah. I mean, thank you for being so candid because I think it can be painful to recognize one's own vulnerabilities and shortcomings. So tell me a little bit about what you feel like were the hardest lessons learned. And I, I think about scale a lot in the context of you have to fix the plumbing before you talk about the poetry. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like I learned that lesson the hard way. Mm-hmm. Tell me yeah. about some of the lessons you learned the hard way. Yeah. I mean, the biggest lesson I learned, which is also explores greatest strength, which is also, which is often, you know, one's greatest strength can also be one's greatest challenge. And in the case of our organization, our greatest strength was people. Mm-hmm. It wasn't, infrastructure or data systems or the most beautiful lesson plans and curriculum. It was thoughtful, humble, hardworking, compassionate people who built relationships with each other and our kids and our families. And in a single school setting, those relationships can move an organization forward and make it better. And that was our currency. And what I failed to recognize is that relationships can't propel necessarily a scaled organization. It's it's the infrastructure that matters because in a day in the life of a school, a thousand decisions get made because you see the person here, you see the family there, you see the child there, you, you're, you're sort of moving together. So what I did not do is first and foremost is just have a leadership pipeline of folks who knew our culture and could lead and propagate our culture in our other schools. Mm-hmm. We can... Yeah. So that that's what I think of a lot. Yeah. So how did you or did you start that leadership pipeline? And if you did, how did you do it? Yeah. I mean, I, I can even before knowing what we did, it took me a while to recognize that that was the challenge. I kept hiring outsiders. And what I didn't do is what I should have done is say, we're not going to grow until we have a leader in our culture who is ready to be the leader of school two and of school three and of school four. So what that resulted in is individuals who are hired who didn't know, you know, you hear the definition of culture is the way we do things around here. That's that's how I've always heard organizational culture is defined. It's a set of unknown, it's a set of invisible sort of rules and ways of being and we were hiring folks who didn't know how we did things around here. And that resulted in an inability for us to move forward as an organization, either because they didn't have this sort of right set of competencies or skills or relationships. And again, that's my responsibility. I needed to press pause and say, before I scale, who are the, the leaders that are the future of our larger organization? That's an interesting idea, though, because I often think that there's a tension between hiring for culture and then hiring for people who can add to the culture because no culture is perfect. So can you speak a little bit about that tension? Yeah, that's a great question. We, I think ultimately, our very best leaders weren't hired as leaders as much as they were raised within the organization. So they were hired probably as teachers. And then we saw them do three things. We saw them have an appetite to learn. We saw them have an ability to lead people. And we saw them get better and deepen their understanding of 
of curriculum and, and how kids learn in order to be an instructional leader. So why that's such a good question is we pretty much were interviewing either just for culture for these external leaders, but they didn't have the sort of depth underneath, or we were going right after one of those other spikes, you know, oh, they know instruction, but they didn't know our culture. Mm -hmm. So I think the answer to your question is, who are those people that we can raise within our organization? And as we see leadership roles pop up, we can point folks to those leadership roles to match their growth. So, you know, you and I have known each other for a while and some of my favorite kids have come through Explore and we can talk about them as well. But one of the things that I think you've done brilliantly is that you were really able to bring resources to your school. So at your height, how much were you raising and how did you do it? Yeah. So when we are, you know, we have sought to be an organization that ran on the public dime because charter schools are public schools. And I wanted to sort of just personally to demonstrate that we could do this and this could be replicable. However, when we were growing, it required resources. So we raised, I mean, we raised during that period of growth, I think between five and $10 million, which is not a huge amount, but it was an amount that we needed to do sort of quickly to sort of match our speed of growth. And I'm sure you're the same in Breakthrough. I, I sort of got to a point where funders were partners. There was not a power dynamic. Like they brought something to the party that we needed and we brought something to the party that they wanted, which was a great education for our students. So I, I think what sort of evolved or what happened is conversations with founders felt less like a college application or do they like us or not? And more like, like, here's what we can do in service of our mission if you provide these resources and, and let's do this together. And I think when I was a younger leader, and I'd love to hear if this is true for you, I, I sort of thought that funders were sort of the special sort of genus or species yeah. that, that needed to be deferred to. And, and actually, they're partners. Yeah. And I, I think I brought, I think that's spirit of how we work together. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, it took a lot of sort of personal maturity to get there. I mean, I was a 26-year-old executive director. So like, what did I know about anything? But it wasn't really until I sort of had done it for a while that I realized it, it is a partnership yeah. at its best. I'm going to switch tacks a little bit because I also think you touched on culture of an organization. And you and I, before we started talking, talked a little bit about, you know, the personal velocity of a leader in shaping culture. So I'm wondering if you can share a little bit about that. Yeah, what a great question. So one of my favorite phrases, and maybe you've heard it, is culture eats strategy for breakfast. And we love Peter Drucker. <laughs> that's, right, that's right, exactly. Like it just, and, and the work, just like at Breakthrough, the work at Explorer is through people. It's not through technical fixes. It's not through apparatus. It is it is through the people that work day to day. So I guess I saw, I mean, it's just a, I like people. Like I, I like, I like teams and I like working with teams. And I think what became most important to me was to burnish and amplify the people values that were most important for us to achieve our mission. So as an organization, we have operating values and that goes for all the staff. That's how we recruit and hire staff. It's how we evaluate staff. So in addition to their line item responsibilities, 
people are recruited, selected, and evaluated on speaking directly and sensitively with colleagues, with making things happen, with being reflective, and with demonstrating professional integrity. And that sort of helped us to very transparently name, this is how we as adults do the work. Mm -hmm. There's no secrets to, but this is how we expect we operate. And I think that helped with, with our culture to strengthen it. I'm going to go off script a little bit, but yeah. I'm just wondering, I mean, you, hope you don't mind me saying, you as a white man yeah. leading schools that were primarily focused on kids of color, African-American kids, most, yeah, most pretty much all Caribbean-American, yeah. that's right. How did you really create a sensitivity around diversity, equity, and inclusion, yep. both in your schools and on your staff? Thank you for asking that. I knew I knew you're going to ask it just because I I know it's a shared value. So, and I was thinking about it a bit before I came. So, I guess part of it which I didn't talk about in my introduction is just my own personal story. I I grew up Jewish. I grew up gay. I mean, I didn't really know I was gay until I was in college, but as a Jewish young man, I was taught from as early as I could remember the best way to prevent the Holocaust from happening again is to identify people being treated differently because of what they look like. So that was just uh, sort of ingrained in me as, as a, from a very small age, I guess. And, you know, as I got older and started teaching in areas where the schools didn't have the resources and schools where kids of color were going, it made a lot of sense that I would put energy there because those students weren't getting the public education they deserved. And that just, that didn't feel okay. At the same time, I was born with privilege by virtue of the skin color that I have. So an ongoing question I've had is, do I have a role in this work? Or what is my role? Or what is my role as a white person in the work? And I don't, I, that's an ongoing question I have. But I, I do think sort of rolling up my sleeves and working with others does make sense. So, so that's sort of one element of answering your question. I think when I when I think about our our students and our schools, we have never adopted a no excuses approach to discipline. And I don't know if you're familiar with no excuses or if our listeners are, but often that's characterized by a rigidity. And this sort of handshake is rigidity around student expectations leads to efficiency, efficiency of learning, efficiency of results. But rigidity denies honoring our students as individuals, the humanism. The, the humanism. Right. And again, as a Jewish person as a, and as a gay person, somebody who's experienced difference, to create a place where our kids couldn't be humans and individuals, I couldn't reconcile that. And there was a price for that. Rhea, we, our results weren't skyrocketing in the way that, and that was really hard. That was hard with funders. That was hard with our charter authorizer, but we just couldn't also as an organization sort of say, oh, to get really quick results, this is how we have to sort of manage our kids' expectations. It's, it's attention. It yeah. continues to be attention. Yeah. So we attract teachers and we attract leaders who want to celebrate our students as individuals. And I, I think that lends itself to this question of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Of our eight principles, six of our eight principles, maybe seven, excuse me, I, I haven't been working in the organization since January, are people since of color. January. Right. <laughs> Exactly. So our school leaders, most of our school leaders look like our students and our families. And 
I think that's very important for our students and our families. Yeah. I mean, and I will just say this, having worked with lots of different charter schools, I always appreciated exactly this about Explore, which is it felt like the kids were really cared for as people and as individuals. Thank you. And, you know, and, and they you know, weren't subjected to this sort of draconian militaristic style of discipline, which I found to be problematic on many different levels. I'm going to switch tacks a little bit, though. So you were in this thing for almost 20 years. This was your identity. (laughs) What happens when you are no longer Bordy Balance CEO of Explore Schools? Wow, that is such a good question. Yeah, I mean... The first thing that comes to mind is that I tried my best while being CEO to be Morty Ballin first and CEO second. So that looked like at staff karaoke, singing the weather girls, it's raining men. I mean, you know, bringing my <laughs> sort of whole self to, to the work. And I'm sure you've experienced this. It was hard for the organization's ups and downs to then equal my own personal ups and downs. I had to separate sort of me from the organization, especially as a founder. I had to sort of recognize that the organization is a business, the organization, and it's it's not because it's mission-driven, And I, but the organization is not going to give me, I don't come home to an organization at night. I don't go on vacation with an organization. I don't, so, so, so. The thing is, I've actually tried that. <laughs> exactly. Right, right, right. That's right. It's not great for a relationship. It, it, it is not, it is not great for a relationship. And I, I guess to answer your question, I've tried over the years to turn off because, and I've heard you say this, because it's a marathon and not a sprint. And to me to stay in the game for 20 years, I had to separate Morty Ballon CEO from Morty Ballon wanting to enjoy his Saturday, Sunday time with his husband vacation. Yeah. And tell me a little bit about, I mean, I know that you are particularly good at board management and developing a diverse board of stakeholders. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's similar to to maybe your question about the funders. I mean, our board members are individuals who, while not practitioners, care deeply and bring skills to help our organization get better. So recognizing that they were partners, just like our families, just like our kids, just like our teachers, just like our leaders, helped from a mindset perspective that they were at the table. And I treated them as such, as opposed to like a thing to manage or a hurdle to get around or that kind of thing. And and I think, you know, and you did this too, just finding authentic ways to connect with people through laughter, through shared interest to do the work. Mm-hmm. So now that you're not Morty Bell and CEO of <laughs> Explore Schools, is there a sense of loss associated with that? I mean, I think I, as we talked a bit earlier, I've been working with our board for about two years on this. And that was as good for my own closure as it was for the organization. So that process allowed me along the way to have so many emotions of how many things I did not do good enough. (laughs) It's probably the primary emotion. Plus, you know, feeling so excited for my successors and also, you know, they got to just be better than me. Like, you know, like that, you know, so, so all of those 
all of those types of questions, I was able to sort of work them out through the, or to an extent through this process. So I feel, and like, even we were talking about it earlier, even the fact, you know, I got to say goodbye to families and kids and teachers from the past 20 years on Thursday. And, and I said to them, I asked for this party because I want to thank them for what they did to build this organization. That also helps me with, with my closure. Yeah. For those listeners who are thinking about perhaps transitioning into a new phase of their lives, what's on the other side? I mean, you're four months into being just Morty Ballin, not CEO yeah. of Explore Schools. Like, what, what are you feeling right now? What's, what's there for you now? So there is there is some loss. What 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 is what is my identity if I'm not the CEO and founder of an organization? There is curiosity. Am I going to find something that is as gay, engaging and something that I'm as passionate about as I am around public education? And there's freedom. I mean, there is time to think and think about creativity. And 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 I think you know what I learned about myself is. I'm a builder or I'm a starter upper. And 20 years with Explore, there was a lot of startup, both the original school and then when we scaled. But then the last five years was really stabilization and management. And that's not what I'm good at. That's not, that's not what I, it's not my highest, best use. So I'm trying to think and feeling really excited about what it means to start a new venture or be creative to in, in service of, of something mission-based. Yeah, I, you know, I think it's interesting because I was sort of a, a pseudo founder, a quasi founder, and I work with a lot of founders. And I, I think that there is a certain type of person that founds an organization, but that type of person isn't necessarily the one to sustain an organization. But I think that there are some founders who stick around too long because A, they don't really know what else there is to do, and B, because they're emotionally committed to this thing, right? And so, I've actually talked to a lot of founders who I've likened to, you have to send your kid off to college. Like yes. you've, you've birthed this thing, you've That's raised right. it up, and now you have to let it go. That's right. And, and I think letting go can be hard and it can be really scary. Have you felt that fear? So I really agree with a lot of what you just said. And I did not want to be the founder sort of sitting around, like hanging out to the end of time. It's yeah. not good for the organization. It's not good for the organization's growth. It's not good for my own growth. And I, you know, near the end of, from September to January, I was still supporting the organization and the new leaders were in place. And I was able to sort of say, because of the confidence I feel about these new leaders these next set of leaders and because of I'm proud of the work that I've done here and the fact that I think the organization is going to get better because of the new leaders, it allowed me to, it allowed me to feel good about that trajectory that, that, that you're naming, but really, really just saying me leaving is because there's other people who are staying and me leaving means the organization is going to get better because there's a new perspective and there's a fresh perspective. But it, our mission's still the same, and what what is important to us is still the same. So so that feels that feels really good. Yeah. So now that you've had a little bit of distance, and you because I think it's so hard when you're in the trenches to really get perspective. What are some of the things that you wish you had done differently? 
Oh, I mean, so many things. I wish that that leadership pipeline that we talked about earlier and being really thoughtful about supporting and growing and retaining folks who demonstrated potential and nurturing them and just having faith that we would have spots for them. We went at a breakneck speed and we lost talent. And that's probably the biggest thing that I regret. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's funny now that I'm in my consulting role, I, I think back and I actually like feel like I should apologize to some people about oh. being a founder. Um, you know, <laughs> I, I think do. about like, oh, yeah, some of the micromanagement <laughs> and some of like getting my fingers in places where it shouldn't have been because I couldn't help myself, yep. right? As a founder, I, I just love the work. So like, really, did I need to be involved in like planning that event on a Saturday? No. But did I insert myself anyway? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> yes. But, you know, we get older, we get wiser, and we do better, hopefully. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Any last words as we sign off, Morty? No, except that for folks who are listening and who have listened, leadership is an amazing journey. And the most trying chapters of Explorers history is also when I grew the fastest and the most. And that that remains true, even with perspective, that that's true. Yeah, I, I often think about lobsters. You know about lobsters? No, tell me. So lobsters, they when they grow, their skin gets uncomfortable. And so when they can no longer stand the discomfort of their small shell, they have to go underneath a rock and shed their, shed their shell and wait until their new shell grows for them to get out from under the rock. Huh. And so it's a metaphor for like, when you become uncomfortable is when you need to grow into the new shell. I love that. Yeah, I totally buy it. <laughs> All right, well, Morty, thank you so much. This is so fun. We'll do this again soon. Thank you. This is great. 